What's up, everybody? All right, welcome back. And here we are embarking on our next journey, this time with Neville Goddard and his book, Out of This World. So as I was saying earlier in previous episodes, Neville Goddard has a, a similar take on the subconscious mind, much like Joseph Murphy. However, he goes so far as to say that the imagination, the subconscious mind, is what God is. Is that all in the one, the one in the all, what the Kabbalion so often references? Listen to the whole book at Mr. Douglas on YouTube. But without further ado, let's take a dive into how Neville Goddard would like us to swim and be our best, most optimized, wonderful selves in this wacky wild world. The title of this book, Out of This World. Ooh, and neat. Here's a quote from Neville to start us off. Chance or accident is not responsible for the things that happen to you, nor is predestined fate the author of your fortune or misfortune. Your subconscious impressions determine the conditions of your world. The subconscious is not selective. It is impersonal. And no respecter of persons, the subconscious is not concerned with the truth or falsity of your feeling. It always accepts as true that which you feel to be true. Feeling is the ascent of the subconscious to the truth of that which is declared to be true. Because of this quality of the subconscious, there is nothing impossible to man. Whatever the mind of man can conceive and feel is true, the subconscious can and must objectify. Your feelings create the pattern from which your world is fashioned, and a change of feeling is a change of pattern. Neville Goddard from Resurrection. All right, here we go. This is exciting. And a quick shout out to all of you Redditors on the Neville Goddard subreddit. Uh, you're a pleasure to read and enjoy. <clears throat> right. Chapter 1. Thinking Fourth Dimensionally. And now I have told you before it come to pass, that when it is come to pass, ye might believe. John 14.29. And just like Joseph Murphy, bringing in a little Bible. Pretty cool. Many persons, myself included, have observed events before they occurred. That is, before they occurred in the world of three dimensions. Since man can observe an event before it occurs in three dimensions of space, life on earth must proceed according to plan, and this plan must exist elsewhere in another dimension and be slowly moving through our space. If the occurring events were not in this world when they were observed, then, to be perfectly logical, they must have been out of this world. Hey, little, oh, the title. And whatever is there to be seen before it occurs here must be predetermined, quote-unquote, from the point of view of man awake in a three-dimensional world. Thus, the question arises, are we able to alter our future? My object in writing these pages is to indicate possibilities inherent in man 
to show that man can alter his future. But, thus altered, it forms again a deterministic sequence starting from the point of interference, a future that will be consistent with the alteration. The most remarkable feature of man's future is its flexibility. It is determined by his attitudes rather than by his acts. And of course, you know, I like to say that your attitudes will beget your acts, so it's uh, kind of uh, a sine wave of wow-wow-wowing into production of your future. The cornerstone on which all things are based is man's concept of himself. He acts as he does and has the experiences that he does because his concept of himself is what it is, and for no other reason. Had he a different concept of self, he would act differently. Hey, and yeah, let's that sine wave like I, f I think, and then I, I will act in uh, accordance with the way I'm thinking. A change of concept of self automatically alters his future, and a change in any term of his future series of experiences reciprocally alters his concept of self. Ooh, and that's really neat. That goes into the uh, idea of uh, causality and retrocausality and how. Of, you know, like living in the end informs the now. Man's assumptions, which he regards as insignificant, produce effects that are considerable. Therefore, man should revise his estimate of an assumption and recognize its creative power. All changes take place in consciousness. The future, although prepared in every detail in advance, has several outcomes. At every moment of our lives, we have before us the choice of which of several futures we will choose. There are two actual outlooks on the world possessed by everyone, a natural focus and a spiritual focus. The ancient teachers called the one carnal mind, the other the mind of Christ. We may differentiate them as ordinary waking consciousness governed by our senses and a controlled imagination governed by desire. We recognize these two distinct centers of thought in the statement, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. Corinthians 2.14 The natural view confines reality to the moment called now. To the natural view, the past and future are purely imaginary. The spiritual view, on the other hand, sees the contents of time. It sees events as distinct and separated as objects in space. The past and future are a present whole to the spiritual view. What is mental and subjective to the natural man is concrete and objective to the spiritual man. The habit of seeing only that which our senses permit renders us totally blind to what we otherwise could see. To cultivate the faculty of seeing the invisible, we should often deliberately disentangle our minds from the evidence of the senses and focus our attention on an invisible state, mentally feeling it and sensing it until it has all the distinctness of reality. Mm, get into your imagination. Earnest, concentrated thought focused in a particular direction shuts out all other sensations and causes them to disappear. That sounds almost exactly like what uh, um, 
Joe Dispenza talks about, Dr. Joe Dispenza, where he talks about getting to a place where there is no time, no space, no me, no nothing, no body, it all disappears and you are wholeheartedly invested each moment into thought, that thought that you want to be. Neville Goddard goes on, we have but to concentrate on the state desired in order to see it. Ooh, this is cool. The habit of withdrawing attention from the region of sensation and concentrating it on the invisible develops our spiritual outlook and enables us to penetrate beyond the world of sense and to see that which is invisible. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Romans 1.20 This vision is completely independent of the natural faculties. Open it and quicken it. Without it, these instructions are useless, for the things of the Spirit are spiritually discerned. Right, we're not going to get in that direction, and we're not going to be able to do it unless we actually engage in doing it. You got to do it. A little practice will convince us that we can, by controlling our imagination, reshape our future in harmony with our desire. Desire is the main spring of action. We could not move a single finger unless we had a desire to move it. No matter what we do, we follow the desire which, at the moment, dominates our minds. When we break a habit, our desire to break it is greater than our desire to continue in the habit. The desires which impel us to action are those that hold our attention. A desire is but an awareness of something we lack or need to make our life more enjoyable. Desires always have some personal gain in view. The greater the anticipated gain, the more intense is the desire. There is no absolutely unselfish desire. Where there is nothing to gain, there is no desire, and consequently, no action. The spiritual man speaks to the natural man through the language of desire. The key to progress in life and to the fulfillment of dreams lies in ready obedience to its voice. Unhesitating obedience to its voice is an immediate assumption of the wish fulfilled. To desire a state is to have it. As Pascal has said, You would not have sought me had you not already found me. Man, by assuming the feeling of his wish fulfilled, and then living and acting on this conviction, alters the future in harmony with his assumption. Assumptions awaken what they affirm. And that, I mean, hey, look, what we just discovered with the whole Joseph Murphy session, beliefs bring about what you believe in. I mean, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. As soon as a man assumes the feeling of his wish fulfilled, his four-dimensional self finds ways for the attainment of this end, discovers methods for its realization. I know of no clearer definition of the means by which we realize our desires than to experience in imagination what we would experience in the flesh were we to achieve our goal. Live in the end. This experience of the end wills the means. With its larger outlook of the four-dimensional self then constructs the means necessary to realize the accepted end. The undisciplined mind finds it difficult to assume a state which is denied by the senses. Here is a technique that makes it easy to encounter events before they occur, to call things which are not seen as though they were, 
Romans 4.17. People have a habit of slighting the importance of simple things. But this simple formula for changing the future was discovered after years of searching and experimenting. The first step in changing the future is desire. That is, define your objective. Know definitely what you want. That too, just as a neat little fun thing here, what is your objective? Classic acting technique. Classic technique. It gives you, performing as a character, uh, a direction to go in, to move toward, which then sharpens and focuses all the decisions that you make in the moment toward that objective. This uh, Neville Goddard, actor. I believe actually he was an actor, Neville Goddard. I wonder if he studied Stanislavski. That's where the whole objective situation comes from. What is my objective? Secondly, construct an event which you believe you would encounter following the fulfillment of your desire. An event which implies fulfillment of your desire. Something that will have the action of self-predominant. So, okay, yeah. Uh, secondly, construct an event which you believe you would encounter following the fulfillment of your desire. Let's say you want to live in an earth ship. I do. Uh, you would be sitting on your couch, listening to the crackling fire, and breathing in the clean air in a silent house, and staring out those wonderful windows that bring in the sun to passively heat your home, completely independent of any system or grid. And you would laugh at the wonder of it all. At least I would. <laughs> Thirdly, immobilize the physical body and induce a condition akin to sleep. Get in that sleepy, dreamy state, that drowsy state that Joseph Murphy talks about too. Lie on a bed or relax in a chair and imagine that you are sleepy. Then, with eyelids closed and your attention focused on the action you intend to experience, in imagination, mentally feel yourself right into the proposed action, imagining all the while that you're actually performing the action here and now. You must always participate in the imaginary action, not merely stand back and look on, but you must feel that you are actually performing the action so that the imaginary sensation is real to you. So don't, in the uh, hypnosis lingo, disassociate and see yourself third party like you're watching a movie of yourself, but see through your own eyes. As they say in neurolinguistic programming, see all of the things, hear all of the sounds, feel all the feelings that you would. We continue. It is important always to remember that the proposed action must be one which follows the fulfillment of your desire. And so, you must feel yourself into the action until it has all the vividness and distinctness of reality. So let's pick something not so specific to me. Uh -huh. But let's see. Um, ooh, I got one. Going out to eat without any worry whatsoever. What would you do? What would be the action you could take after you have successfully eaten the food, drink the drink, laughed with friends? I think this sensation of taking whatever debit or credit card that you use and crisply smacking it down on the um, 
you know, whatever they use to bring over the bill, whether it's the fun little foldy thing or just the tray, but clack, ah, and that, mm, that satisfactory clack. And perhaps you got a little bit of your drink left. You're laughing. You feel your elbows on the table because the food's gone. I mean, you know, however you want to eat. But you can feel the sensation of the table on your arms. You can feel the sensation of the clack of the card. You got a smile on your face because you just fed yourself and your friends or family or both. Drink a little bit left and you drink, drink. Not a care in the world because you've been able to do that. Clack. And I think we will hold off there for now. That is a wonderful introduction. And how great and straightforward and, uh, you know, already given us a technique from Mr. Neville Goddard here in Out of This World. Not so out of this world that we're able to do these things. Well, thank you for hanging. And I would be very interested to hear uh, what your kind of uh, bring about sensation experience that you're looking through pov first person and experiencing what is it that you are engendering within your imagination living in the end so that it can come about into your three-dimensional experience let me know and i will catch you on the next one all right everybody never got our time now